celebrating classics and creating new ones. Only on the Music Vibes Podcast. Now, here's your host, DC Hendrix. Hello, is this the one and only David Page? It certainly is. How are you doing? I am doing awesome now that I'm talking to you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. David Page joining us here on the Music Vibes Podcast. And I wanted to obviously talk about Forgotten Toys, which is one of my personal favorite EPs to come out. I think it came out last oh, summer. I appreciate that. Made my day. One of, one of my personal favorite projects that was released last year, and it came just in time last summer. But before we even get to that, I kind of want to learn a little bit about you. This is the first time you've been on my podcast. So when the first time guests always come on, I like to dig deep into them and get to yeah. know a little bit more about them. So obviously things did not start off. Um, you know, releasing Forgotten Toys and doing songs with Toto and Skaggs and everybody that you've done songs with. But how did things yeah. get started for David Page as a youngster in music? Um, my father was a jazz pianist and a jazz arranger. And he was working with people like uh, Ella Fitzgerald and mm. Sarah Vaughn and Ray Charles. And so I was around music all my life and, and was around my dad who played piano. And so I started playing piano at five years old. And wow. he started teaching me a bit. And uh, I started uh, uh, edging my way toward the drums. I wanted to play drums for a, while, a little while. But then I settled on piano and uh, started uh, taking it seriously around 12 years old. And uh, uh, started working with my dad on arrangements and stuff. He was um, mentoring me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got to meet Quincy Jones when I was like 14, you know, <laughs> and Duke Ellington. All these people, all these heavy, heavy hitters, man. And uh, it was great. I was always in the studios with my father. So I knew all the professional uh, players like Ray Brown on bass, and, mm. you know, people like that. And uh, so uh, and then I joined my dad was doing a, a, a show called the Glenn Campbell Show. Mm. And uh, 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 he hired uh, Jeff Percaro's father, who had just got into town to play tambourine. And my father loved him, so he had a steady gig. And Joe for Carl hooked me and Jeff up because Jeff had been in a battle of the bands that had won the battle of the bands in the San Fernando Valley area. Mm. And uh, uh, he, uh, they were looking for a new keyboard player, so he suggested me, and I went in and auditioned. I played uh, uh, "Feeling All Right" by Joe Cocker was my audition. <laughs> you can imagine, <laughs> I, I knew it. I, I knew it really well, um, and. Uh, uh, the rest was we started a high school band together, mm-hmm. and uh, Toto became a continuation of wanting to have this band atmosphere and having this vehicle for a band to express our music that we wanted to do. So after that, I got a job with Seals and Crofts uh, on their album Diamond Girl, mm-hmm. my first hit record I played on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started getting a lot of sessions. And then uh, one thing led to another, and Jeff introduced me to uh, Boz Kags. Thank you. 
better hurry and check around To the sad, sad truth, the dirty Lord down Boz was looking for a writing partner for his next album. Uh, and uh, so him and I hit it off together and we sat down at a piano and uh, wrote the Silk Degrees album, and uh, which uh, became an iconic album for mm-hmm. him. And, uh, and it also uh, kind of launched me as a songwriter. So I, I'm very grateful to Boz for uh, allowing me to participate in that record. And, uh, and then Toto happened after that because we, mm-hmm. were, we were, right in place to to start the juggernaut here and uh uh we've been playing live with boz on the road and so cbs sony uh saw us play live and thought it would be a good idea if we started a band so we were already going to do it so we didn't hmm. tell them we didn't let them know in on the secret uh why <laughs> right, what a great idea and we just have we just have to have some tapes together and everything so uh <laughs> in your back pocket and, uh, yeah and uh we did. We used to carry cassettes around in our pockets. Wow. And because we, we used to work for all the record companies. So all the record companies got to hear it. And when the, when the artists would take a break, me and Jeff would put on our, our demo tapes and let everybody listen to them. So words started spreading around, you know. And that's when Walter Yetnikoff stepped in and uh, uh, said he didn't want anybody bidding on us. He uh, mm-hmm. said he wanted to uh, us to sign with the CBS Sony, you know. So uh, that was that, and the rest is history, you know. I'm, I'm sure that just helped everything. I know working with Skaggs on that album, a breakthrough for not only you, but yeah. for Toto. I mean, you, you said oh, it. Absolutely. And a lot of people don't even realize that you did that before Toto. And it seems like... Um, you know, Toto obviously been around for so long, but I kind of want to dig into the beginning stages of that. So how was that transition for you? I assume it was seamless since you guys were already, you know, have it, you already had material. It was. We had just done, you know, Seals and Crofts records. We were working on Steely Dan records. Because mm-hmm. The idea for Toto was we wanted to get experience before we did our first album. We wanted to gain uh, experience in the record making process mm-hmm. so it wouldn't be unfamiliar to us when we finally stepped in the studio. And uh, so we got a lot of experience uh, and uh, also with um, uh, the Boz Skaggs record, it put us in line. We had David Hungate, we had Jeff, and we had myself. And uh, all we needed to add was Steve Lukather, Bobby Kimball, and uh, Steve Bercaro was already, had already joined Boz Skaggs road crew, road uh, touring group. So we, we had four of us, four of the six, on the Boz Skaggs record, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it just seemed like a nat- natural progression. We just we couldn't wait to get in the studio, and uh, uh, bar uh, we used to barter for uh, studio time with with studio owners mm-hmm. by cutting demos for them. And so we'd uh, get the time on the weekend to cut our demos, and it was the most exciting, fun thing we ever did was getting de- making demos for a record deal. I'll never forget it, and. Uh, uh, one of the first things we demos we did uh, uh, played was Hold the Line.
coincidentally enough, our about none of the songs that we played got our record deal with uh, were on the first album, which is unusual. Wow! When uh, you sign, when you get signed, because we had we passed, we'd gone past that, and we're into new music, newer music, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, and uh, Toto just, uh, you know, we just started playing around and uh, and got our deal, and uh, we got a hit, hold a line on the first album, which is number top five single. Mm-hmm. And uh, the album went double platinum, and it kind of launched us. Oh, yes, it did. Yes, it did. Hold the Line, actually the first Toto song that I ever heard. So uh, I guess I started at the beginning then, right? You did. The song after that, I was producing, while I was producing the, the co-producing the first Toto record, mm-hmm. I was co-producing Cheryl Lynn's first album. And wow. so I wrote Got to Be Real. I wrote Got to Be Real with Cheryl Lynn. Wow. And that, and, and, and that was on the charts. And then she came and sang on Georgie Porgy with us, which crossed over because of her. And uh, 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 it was kind of a, a crystallized moment right there where we had a few things on the charts and the, the, we had a lot of momentum. I didn't. I didn't know that you co-wrote on "Got to Be Real." You play Georgie Porgy and play "Got to Be Real," and you'll find the same Cheryl Lynn kind of on both of those right there. But yes, I did. I I came up with a piano riff wow. and the chords to uh, uh, the uh, opening, uh, uh, the intro into the verses and stuff. I guess I really undersold it. How many people you've worked for? I mean, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, it always. Hey, I always get surprised myself and go, I don't remember doing that. Did I really? Do that? that happens all the time. Yeah, I, I imagine. I remember <laughs> I interviewed um, Mickey Dolans from the Monkees, and I brought up a yeah. couple of things, and a lot of it honestly was just because I he was way before my time, so I had to do a lot of yep. research on Mickey Dolans, sure. and I I seen one thing on Wikipedia, and he's like, I I brought it up in the interview, and he's like, I don't remember doing that, but yeah, All sure. Right. Right. <laughs> so that's what happens when you when you've been around for a while. You know? <laughs> that's amazing, though. Yeah, that's one of my favorites right there, too. And obviously yeah. being with the group, you know, throughout the years, I mean, what were some of your favorite? Toto has all kind of hits. So like just some yeah. of your favorite moments in the studio, creating some of those hits like Africa, Hold the Line, as you mentioned, and some of the other ones. Oh, just just cutting. Uh, cutting them was exciting. You know, it was like we make doing a live performance. You know, and you have Jeff Ricaro and you have me and Lenny Castro, mm-hmm. David Hungate. We're cutting the Total Four record, and uh, uh, it was pretty exciting. We had Al Schmidt for an engineer who's like the most award-winning engineer that ever lived. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, like I said, we, we were working at Sunset Sound where there was a lot of other good music going around there. And uh, we uh, were just in the middle of it, and it was exciting. It's like the eye of the, the, eye of the storm, you know. Uh, we were just there uh, doing records with other people. I think one of the records that we did, the an icon, another iconic record, was the Thriller album that Toto was involved with. But mm-hmm. right back after the uh, Total Four uh, happened, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, we got to um, do the duet "The Girl Is Mine" with Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney. <laughs> She walks 
So you had George Martin, you had George Martin and Jeffrey Emmerich, the Sgt. Pepper team, and Paul and Linda were there, and then Quincy Jones and Bruce Wadeen, the Thriller team. So it was rarefied air, for sure, on that session, and uh, uh, it's uh, unforgettable. I'm still kind of uh, tingling from the moment, you know. Yeah, and obviously there's a lot of people in music that would have loved to have said that they were in the studio with Michael Jackson. Yeah. That's for sure. We spent a lot of time. We did, uh, I think we did The Girl Is Mine. Mm-hmm. We did Human Nature from yep. Steve Ricaro's song. That was total. And then uh, Jeff Ricaro and Steve uh, Lukather did all the all the instruments on uh, on Beat It, mm-hmm. except for the guitar solo that Eddie, Eddie played. Kind of, I mean, we're not in the same field, but, you know, we, we're both in the love of music. But I've always admired people <laughs> that could write songs and not only... And, and your unique situation where you're writing for all different genres, all kind of different artists. I mean, was there any like any kind of roadblocks or any kind of issues with that? Because, I mean, you got hits on top of hits. Sure. You know, when I first started writing and stuff, I was trying to write for the market and try and write what I thought would be a hit record for an artist. But I always had my own little quirky changes. No, almost like Steely Dan has their quirky changes. Mm-hmm. I had certain chords I wanted to go to and certain melodies, and I wasn't ready to give up those that that real, real estate. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 so I ended up forming the band as to have a vehicle for my songs, you know, and for and to co-write with other members of the band. But uh, uh, I was lucky enough to uh, when I was ten years old, my father started working with Jimmy Webb the famous uh, 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 songwriter who wrote, By the Time I Get to Phoenix, Galveston, mm-hmm. all the Glen Canyon hits. And he also wrote MacArthur Park and uh, all these other great hits. So I used him as a role model uh, for my songs until uh, Elton John came out in 1970. And then I just opened the big door for me. I just, I found myself wow. saying, I, I, that's what I, exactly what I want to do. I want to I be Elton John, you know, uh, literally. <laughs> and, uh, 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 was I've used him uh, to uh, uh, kind of learn how to write songs and uh, come out of my shell a little bit there. And then I started getting writing a little bit more and a little bit more. And uh, uh, what else did I do? I did, uh, there was a, uh, a series called Ironsides. You probably won't remember because you're too young. <laughs> but we had Ray Burr, it was a cop, cop show. Quincy Jones had done the music and he passed it on the series to my dad. And they wanted mm. uh, someone. They wanted a song every week to uh, a sub to be the subtext for the script, and uh, so I ended up being the songwriter who wrote every up twenty two episodes for two years, Jeez. learning how to write songs one a week. You know, and uh, that was kind of my uh, songwriting uh, 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 Ten Pan Alley kind of experience right there. So uh, uh, that's uh, all led up to. Uh, working again with Seals and Crofts, Boz Skaggs, and then Toto. 
That's amazing. I mean, kudos to you. Um, I've always admired songwriters, especially ones like you that could write for so many different people. I mean, I went through a stage when I was coming up when I, when I was like 20 and I thought I could write music and I quickly found out it was not as easy as I thought it was. Um, (laughs) I still struggle with it. You know, it's, it's hard. Sometimes music will come easy, but the words, words, I'm just starting to co-write with more lyricists because I want to, I, I, I want, I, I know how words are, have become so important mm-hmm. to the narrative of the songs and uh, they des- they deserve ample time as the music does. So uh, mm-hmm. it's so it's always, uh, you never reach your perfection. You're always trying to be the best version of yourself. You can't, you know? Well, you're, you're a songwriting legend. I mean, you worked with, and I, I imagine uh, too, trying to figure out, you know, what lyrics fit which artist. I mean, Cheryl Lynn right. mentioned Skaggs. Uh, Rita Franklin. I mean, yeah. all kind of different people. Michael Jackson. So like, I mean, kudos to you, definitely. And this all led, you know, and obviously, I went. So when did you depart from Toto and decide that you were going to go a solo route? Um, back, uh, we did a tour uh, just over two years ago. We did one in the winter. It got booked somehow. We got a tour, a three month tour, two and a half month tour, booked in the coldest place on earth in Scandinavia during the winter. Wow. And uh, uh, I just couldn't, uh, uh, I have trouble sleeping on buses. And uh, I just got worn out and tired and got uh, depressed and anxious and, mm-hmm. and anxiety. So I just decided that the, uh, my doctor said, you got to stop touring, you know, because uh, it's Dang. just, uh, it's, too, it's too much. You're getting too old to tour. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> uh, I stopped touring and then um uh covid hit uh and uh my uh, colleagues steve lukather and joe joseph williams mm-hmm. each of them were making solo records during the covid thing and they so they they uh pushed me along and kind of bullied me into doing a solo record <laughs> we're doing one you got to do one too <laughs> so i hadn't planned on really doing one because i felt very fulfilled and satisfied with my participation in total all these years, but I thought uh, they thought it would be a good idea. And Joseph Williams, who's, who's a really close kindred spirit mm-hmm. as far as writing goes. And he heard a couple of things that I started to write and said, let me have those and I'll polish them and, and we'll, we'll try and make records out of them. And he did. And that was, uh, that was on this uh, forgotten toys record. Mm-hmm. He with me and, uh, uh, I'm glad I did because I, I feel a real sense of accomplishment, and I'm really—I've I've heard the each song over a thousand times, and I still like the record when I hear it. So that says something. Yeah, and re- and right before we get into Forgotten Toys, I wanted to ask you—you you brought it up. So the COVID year, um, I've interviewed a lot of people since then, and it's affected some, but some it's like, nah, it hasn't affected me at all. I just spent honestly, it's helped some people. It's helped them because they spent more time in the studio because there's nothing else right. to do and nowhere to go. But how did it affect you? That was the same kind of way, you know. I like I said, I was uh, still kind of recovering from the road experience, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, so it was kind of. I had some down days and some up days, but I tried the, the updates started becoming more and more plentiful as I started working on a solo project because it gave me a goal and it gave me a t- uh, 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 goals there to do every day and, and the things to accomplish as far as uh, doing overdubs on the record. I got to work with some of the greatest musicians who are my friends, mm-hmm. uh, people like Steve, drummer Steve Jordan, 
uh, who's with Rolling Stones right now, played on uh, Queen Charade. I got Mike McDonald to sing on uh, Spirit, of the, Spirit of the Moonrise. most important part fun and fulfilling that's that's the especially in this day and age i mean you've been making yeah. music for so long um and at this and at this point you know if you're not enjoying it then why do it and that's the most important yeah. part about it yeah. and i you brought yeah. up so spirit of the moonrise was one of my personal favorites on the record but i oh, want to bring you. up one that resonated with me and i want you to kind of talk about this record and will i belong to you was my personal favorite I said, that's a chorus. He mm-hmm. just had this piece 
background, didn't know what to do with it. And I grabbed it and said, I need to, that needs to be the course to this song that I'm writing. And so I wrote this verse and then Joseph and I wanted to develop it musically. So it had transitions, musical transitions. So we added some music to each little section as it went along there to make it more interesting. And, uh, uh, we just kept working on it, working on it, working on it until it sounded right. And uh, voila, champagne, you know, uh, it ended up getting finished. And uh, I'm very proud of uh, the way it turned out. Absolutely. Forgotten Toys. If you guys haven't checked it out yet, definitely be sure to check it out. One of my personal favorites It was released, like I said, my birthday, around my birthday last year. Yeah, oh, perfect. What a great birthday present, you know. You, you delivered for me, Dave. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. The link is in the description if anybody wants to listen to it. But I, I didn't want to, you know, bring you on because I want to know what's going on these days. I mean, what are you? I know you're still. I mean, this record is still going strong. But what do you got coming up? It's a good thing. It's funny you should mention it. I'm co. I'm doing some co-writes with a couple of artists mm. right now. I'm working with Shania Twain Ooh. on a song, and uh, this is kind of low off the radar, down low here. But gotcha. I'm, I'm working with her. I'm working with uh, Richard Marks. I don't know if you know who he is. I do, he's yes. Foster and Quincy Jones and people. Yep. I mean, he's doing solo albums, so I'm going to be co-writing with him. And uh, what else am I doing? Um, oh, there's a band from, there's a vocal group out of Indiana called Straight No Chaser. And they, they do college gigs, and they're like a vocal group, uh, like mm. It's Perfect movie thing. And... Uh, so they're doing, uh, they decided they wanted to do it. They had incorporated the Africa into their Christmas program of 12 Days of Christmas. So it was kind of very clever how they did it. So they wanted, it got such a, uh, became a success that uh, they wanted to do a total medley. So this, this week, I'm, I'm putting on my a verse to Africa. Mm. It's, they're going to do a longer version of it. They're doing Rosanna, Africa, Hold the Line, and I'll Be Over You. So I'm singing a verse in Africa on it. And that's what I'm doing this afternoon when I get off the phone with you. <laughs> wow. Well, we, we definitely don't want to hold you up on that. I mean, I was... Oh, yeah. That's crazy. I mean, you're you're still as busy as ever. David Page joining us here on the Music Vibes podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and definitely look forward to what, what is next for you and appreciate you for making a little time for us. Keep, keep writing those hits. Thank you so much. And I want to just thank all of our fans who I'm grateful for mm-hmm. and very blessed and very fortunate to be in the position I'm in and to have uh, made uh, records with lots of people, including Toto. And I'm glad that you enjoyed the records. And uh, thank you for uh, uh, reaching out and uh, letting us communicate together. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Peace and love. Okay, take care. All right. You too. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Time Travel with DC Hendrix on the Music Vibes Podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify on your mobile device. Podcasts by Federated Media.